0: You're listening to the Solar Disruption Theory Podcast. Step inside some of the most forward-thinking minds in solar today. This show explores a deeper side of solar each month as Freedom Forever leaders sit down with CEOs, activists, and other solar experts to break the solar industry wide open. We'll discuss solar trends, news, and everything you need to know about how you can join us on the path of disruption. This is the Solar Disruption Theory. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of the Solar Disruption Theory Podcast. I'm Sean McCready, and with me, as always, is my good friend, Jules Reberitz. Hey, Jules. Hey, how's it going? I'm, I'm so excited to get into Episode 2 of the new season. Uh, we've got a jam-packed show ahead of us. Today, we're going to be discussing learning and development with some great guests. But first, there is a lot of news with the new year. So, new year, new administration, there's a lot to unpack. Um, there's some huge news with uh, the new presidency. And... Um, To quote President Biden, we're going to combat climate change in a way we have not before. Um, This is so exciting. It's so exciting. I mean, there's so much that he plans to do in the next four years, and he laid it all out in the first hours of his uh, presidency. So first, let's discuss the new administration. So besides the new president, Joe Biden, uh, back in November he, when he was president elect, he announced that former U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry would serve as the special presidential envoy for climate and would be a member of the United States National Security Council or the NSC.
1: And what's so cool about this is this is a brand new role. Yeah. Like this is yeah. never existed before. And it is at the table like he will be at the table for these big conversations which is just huge.
0: It's it is huge and this really shows that President Biden is committed to returning the United States to its status as a, you know a leader on climate mm-hmm. change because that's what we were viewed as before. So, you know, a, f- a little bit about John Kerry and his qualifications as former Secretary of State and Senator, in 2009 he chose climate change as the focus of the first hearing he convened. And as Secretary of State, he was the lead negotiator in 2015 for the historic Paris Agreement on reducing global emissions, which we'll talk at length about in a minute. He also negotiated the Kigali Amendment to the Montreal Protocol, which was aimed at phasing out the production and use of hydrofluorocarbons, which is a potent global warming agent. Um, so he had a really big piece in that. And he was also the chair of the Arctic Council. And that steered the focus of the eight nation consortium toward climate change mitigation and adaptation in addition to Arctic Ocean security and stewardship. He has a lot of qualifications when it comes to the climate. Uh, you know, I can go on and on about some of the other projects that he worked on. But what this all comes down to is this is all part of the steps that will take a whole of government approach to the climate crisis. Um, because so, it's
1: going to it's going to need everybody.
0: It needs everybody involved. If we have to have everybody's hands in the pot with this one. You know, speaking of getting everybody involved, in addition to this appointment as the new climate czar of of, you know, John Kerry, the administration is also formally establishing the White House Office of Domestic Climate Policy, and this is going to be led by the first ever National Climate Advisor and Deputy National Climate Advisor which creates a central office in the white house that is charged with coordinating and implementing the president's domestic climate agenda. Uh, And this also establishes the national climate task force, assembling leaders from across 21 federal agencies and departments to enable a whole of government approach to combat the crisis. So again, Everybody's hands are in the pot with this one.
1: This is fantastic.
0: It is. It's amazing, and it's it's nice to see you know this this topic being taken so seriously, especially in our industry. You know, we as uh, solar installers, solar salespeople, solar you know solar enthusiasts, anybody listening, you know, we have to think about the environment. These are things that are really important to us as an industry. So super yeah. exciting.
1: And he's really bringing science to the table on this, and yeah. it's it's really cool to see because three years ago scientists were saying. You know, in order for us to make a drastic change, you know, it's going to take like about twelve years to get us to to correct. With our last president, he actually reverted things, so we're we're behind the eight ball. So we have a lot of catching up to do. So these changes are so important to really make an impact. You know, in the coming years.
0: You know, and I think that Biden really took that into consideration, and that's why day one, I mean, within hours of taking office, he was signing executive actions. And, Mm -hmm. and these, this was the quickest way to get us back on track, you know, because like what you're saying, we've lost three years. And when we're on a time limit of 12, that's, we lost a quarter of our time. Absolutely. Um, so with, with these new actions, they're really aimed at tackling the climate crisis at home and abroad, uh, creating jobs and restoring scientific integrity across the federal government. So first, putting the climate crisis at the center of the United States foreign policy and national security, this new policy states that United States international engagement to address climate change, which has become a climate crisis, is more necessary and urgent than ever. The scientific community has made clear that the scale and speed of necessary action is greater than previously believed. So this goes back to your nine years. Mm -hmm. There's little time left to avoid setting the world on a dangerous, potentially catastrophic climate trajectory. Responding to the climate crisis will require both significant short-term global reductions in greenhouse gas emissions and net zero global emissions by mid-century or before. Um, So, yeah, this, this speaks very clearly to the timeline you just mentioned.
1: Yeah, and I mean there there needs to be some drastic changes. I mean, it was interesting. I heard GM actually has a 15-year plan where yes. they are planning to get all of their cars to electric in 15 years. 15 um, years. Yeah. By 2035.
0: Yeah, I just read that yesterday actually.
1: So more things like that have to happen in order for stuff like this to to really be impactful and I think that's really what the the Paris Treaty is.
0: Yeah. So let's get into that. So for those of you that are not aware, the Paris Agreement sets out a global framework to avoid dangerous climate change by limiting global warming to well below two degrees Celsius and pursuing efforts to limit it to one point five degrees Celsius. It also aims to strengthen countries' ability to deal with the impacts of climate change and support them in their efforts. And as Jules mentioned, the U.S. officially withdrew from the accord in 2017. Uh, President Donald Trump began the process and we were actually the only country out of the nearly 200 signatories that withdrew. But Biden upheld his promise on Inauguration Day, the documents that were needed to rejoin the agreement.
1: Yeah. And, and basically, I mean, simply because I, I looked into it because at first I'm like, well, what is it? What does it mean? What is what is in the agreement? But I think the cool right. thing is that these different countries are making that list. They're like, okay, this is what we're going to do to hold ourselves accountable to this. And it's not just, okay, here's the list, it's done, but like they're all banding together to really review it, approve it, like make sure they're holding each other accountable. And I think, I think that's actually an an amazing statement right there that all these countries are coming together to save us. Like our planet is, is, burning, you know, and they're all coming together, they're uniting and they're going to support each other in their efforts. Like what a powerful statement that is.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, there was this weird misconception that this Paris climate agreement was helping Paris. You know, this is the world people, you know, the, the Paris climate agreement is, is something that will help all of the countries that are involved really lower the, the, the warming of the planet. And that helps everybody involved, which is every person on this planet. But we also have word that uh, President Biden is going to host a Leaders Climate Summit on Earth Day, which is coming up quickly. That's April 22nd of 2021. And that's going to be aimed at persuading countries to strengthen their greenhouse gas reduction pledges. So really just keeping people in line, keeping these countries in line with what they've already agreed to.
1: You know, it's interesting because um I know there was an interview with John Kerry recently that I was listening to and they asked like, well, do you think we have to be as bold, you know, to, to do like a, a carbon tax? And right. he was saying he's like, it's definitely a thing you can do. I think what they're hoping for is that they don't have to do something like that, because if you if you think about it, everything from like cement plastic it's not yeah. just like our cars like a lot of the manufacturers like that's omit a lot of the carbon you know so it was just interesting like i'm I'm curious to see how bold um we're gonna be with it uh, you know and this was this goes back to our conversation with anya because you know a lot of companies are like poo-pooing subsidizing like for example right. solar initiatives exactly yeah. but like fossil fuel companies are getting subsidized right now. So they're basically saying, no, you can't do it for them, but it's okay to do it for us. Right. And you know, and it was funny, John Kerry made a really good point as well, where we're actually spending so much money in cleanup because of global warming. So think yeah. about, he used an example of like $265 billion, billion, billion dollars. Billion with a B. Were, <laughs> yeah, we're spent on just three major storms. So that was Maria, Harvey and Irma. Those three mm-hmm. storms cost us 265 billion dollars. Rather than spend the money on cleanup, we should be thinking about spending the money on preventing it. So I thought yeah, that was a really interesting note. I was
0: just watching a show on on Disney Plus about um one of the hurricanes it was it was a, about you know, a rescue team. And there's a direct correlation between the the temperature of the water in that area mm-hmm. and these storms. I mean, these storms were were sitting on top of the state longer and dumping more rain. And there's a direct correlation to the warming of the waters.
1: Well, that too. And lightning. So yeah. uh, there's, you know, the, the, the climate's getting warmer. And it was interesting because I didn't realize this until I started doing a little bit more research. But we're not seeing as much of an increase where we live. And I think that's why people question it so much. But in Antarctica, it's like threefold. So the temperatures are way much warmer. And then you get more of the permafrost that is thawing out. And then like to your point with the storms, we're seeing a lot more lightning. The lightning is what's actually causing the fires. So you have Siberia right now that is just burning at a high rate, which then is emitting even more carbon into the air, which is – into, into the atmosphere, which then is raising the temperature even more. So it's almost like that you've got that piece. So you've got like the weather, you know, right. you've got then it, it's only increasing then the thaw. And then because of this, the polar ice caps melting, you don't have that white. They call it like a blanket.
2: Right.
1: It's almost like a prote- protective blanket. You have this white that then it, bounces the sunlight back. But if you don't have that, then the earth absorbs the heat even more. So it's just, it's like this, this, well, lack of a better word, the snowball effect, Mm -hmm. um, where it just keeps adding and adding and adding. And at some point you just have to be, we got to stop.
0: Yeah. And you know, it it all comes down to the temperature of the earth. And you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. you're speaking about Siberia. I believe in June of this, of 2020, they hit the highest temperature they've ever seen in history ever 100.4 degrees. It was in, in Siberia.
1: That's incredible.
0: It's, it's insane. Yeah. It's insane. And it needs to stop. And you had asked earlier, um, you know, I wonder how bold this is going to be. I think, President Biden this new administration along with John Kerry and and all of the people that are going to be really helping with this this initiative I think they're going to get as bold as they need to be and mm-hmm. and I I think that's a great answer I think that's a great way to look at it uh we need to be as bold as we can be because like you're saying we have we have 9 years less than a decade to get this under control so we need to start now
1: And think about the opportunity I mean there's you know I know a lot of um like we were talking about GM and how they have this 15 yeah. year uh, plan, you know, a lot of people I think are afraid that oh well these jobs are going to go away, but that's not the idea. The idea is to adapt and to grow, and so right. they're going to say like oh I, we we've done that as a nation over and over again. Like you know with the internet coming out, like a lot of jobs went online, but that doesn't yeah. mean like we didn't be, have more jobs to give to people. So I'm super excited to see, especially what happens with solar and just the I mean. Looking at our company alone and how we've grown and how we've been able to hire so many people and teach so many people solar, um, it's just exciting to to know that there's going to be these clean jobs that are going to be out there. I think yeah. that's one of the most exciting things that I see. Like Everyone looks at it like, oh, well, these jobs are going to go away. I'm like, you're going to have better jobs. Like We're yeah. going to be a better nation with cleaner energy. And because of that opportunity, we're going to have more jobs there.
0: Yeah. And one of the highlights of, of Biden's plan is rebuilding our infrastructure for a sustainable economy. And that enables the creation of jobs in construction, manufacturing, engineering and skilled trades. So, I mean, that it hits the mark. Mm hmm. But among a number of other steps aimed at prioritizing climate in U.S., foreign policy and national security, the order directs the director of national intelligence to prepare a national intelligence estimate on the security implications of climate change, which was really interesting to me. So, you know, how how secured is is our nation because, you know, because of climate change It's very, very interesting. The order directs the director of national intelligence and the State Department to prepare a transmittal package to the Senate for the Kigali Amendment in the Montreal Protocol that we referenced earlier and all agencies to develop strategies for integrating climate considerations into their internal work. Another significant piece of the president's plan includes an executive order establishing the President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology and a Scientific Integrity Presidential Memorandum. This memorandum on scientific integrity and evidence-based policymaking directs agencies to make evidence-based decisions guided by the best available science and data.
1: And that's yeah, that's exactly what we were saying. Bringing science to the table.
0: Yeah, we don't have it's, to guess at this. It's this, not an. This, this opinion. is not a guessing game. It's yeah. not an opinion. You're right. Absolutely. This we have evidence to support these thoughts and these these practices. We do these things based on evidence. It's not based on some theory. Um, so uh, included in in these different highlights is uh, again, I already mentioned the jobs, but revitalizing energy communities. Uh, so establishing an interagency working group on coal and power plant communities and economic revitalization to be co-chaired by the National Climate Advisor and the Director of the National Economic Council and directs federal agencies to coordinate investments and other efforts to assist coal, oil and natural gas and power plant communities. And then lastly, talking about securing environmental justice and spur economic opportunity. So this order formalizes President Biden's commitment to make environmental justice a part of the mission of every agency by directing federal agencies to, to develop programs, policies and activities to address the disproportionate health, environmental, economic and climate impacts on disadvantaged communities. And I've been looking into a lot of different organizations recently because uh, the more people we talk to when it comes to solar and the environment, the term um, energy poverty mm-hmm. comes up a lot. And so, you know, this this one kind of piqued my interest because. We have a lot of people that we're really hoping to bring onto the show, talk about in blogs that really focus on disadvantaged communities because energy poverty is a real thing. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, If you
0: heard our episode with Anya, uh, Anya Schoolman from Solar United Neighbors, we touched on it in that podcast episode as well. Uh, There are communities that can't get solar. They can't get the right energy. They can't get the right water. And this is a, a travesty in this country. So putting some focus on those disadvantaged communities, uh, how the climate impacts everybody, you know, from from top to bottom, right to left. Every single side needs power. They need the climate to be healthy. We all have the same basic needs. If you are looking to kind of identify uh, what we were talking about here, see what more is included in this plan. We're going to link down below uh, in the notes the fact sheet for President Biden's plan on climate crisis and and what it means for The world uh what it means for this country what it means for you as individuals so take a look click on that link and uh if you have any questions about it it should be answered in there um yeah so that that is (laughs) that's a lot
1: he has been busy
0: very busy but uh we got a we got a great show so we're going to take a little break and we're going to come back with our guests so stay tuned Today, we'll be discussing the culture of learning at Freedom Forever. Companies and institutions often underestimate all that is involved in administering a learning management system. They often assume that it will require one person to perform all of the tasks involved. Usually, this is not the case, and in most cases, it's going to take a team to make the learning happen. We're excited to have a member of our extended team join us. Luke Rowan is a senior solutions consultant at EdApp MicroLearning. EdApp believes in empowering teams large and small to better themselves through accessible and engaging mobile learning. EdApp has helped Freedom Forever grow our training programs in a short amount of time. And to help explain this process, we're also joined by Freedom Forever's learning and development program manager, E.J. Darrett. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Hey guys, good to be here. Thanks for having us. Did I kill your name?
3: No, that was perfect. Okay, good.
0: Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I just realized I don't think I've ever said your name out loud, (laughs) your last name at least. Yeah, we're glad to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I wanted to get a little bit of a background on you, Luke. Um, can you tell me a little bit about you and, and, and what your role is at EdApp?
2: Yeah, sure thing. So I've been with the company for about 10 years actually. I'm one of the OGs with EdApp. Uh, as you might find by my accent, it's actually an Australian company and um, yeah, we've been doing really well in the USA and um, super excited to be doing business with Freedom Forever. Obviously, you guys are at the cutting edge of solar, and um, EdApp is very much a, a progressive learning solution. So I think we have some great alignment there. Absolutely. And uh, how did how did you get involved with EdApp? So I was actually part of the team that um, came up with a brilliant idea for for EdApp. Uh, we were initially an agency developing mobile solutions for various global brands around the place and um ed was really the brainchild of uh some of the internal team to basically see learning and development tools out in the marketplace and we really didn't think much of them they're very traditional and very desktop focused and um a mobile first training solution uh is certainly really what the market needs and whether you're uh, in uh, The type of business that you guys are or whether you're corporate teams in the office. Everyone loves their mobile device and it's a great place to learn. That's
0: awesome. And we'll get more into EdApp and the platform in a little bit, but I wanted to also get a little bit of background on you, EJ. How did you get into the learning and development world?
3: It's so funny you say that because um, I actually have been in the real estate um, investment space for the last five and a half years. And um, while working as an operations and marketing manager, I have done and wore many, many hats. And um, one of the things that I found that was kind of like my passion was um, creating processes and kind of like a passion for process. And um, after five and a half years, I've kind of explored like, you know, what can I do that can make work not seem like work,
2: right? you know, mm-hmm.
3: and I stumbled upon a um, an ad for a training development specialist here at Freedom. I applied and um, I got it. So uh, nine months later, you know, I'm kind of more from a training development specialist to a learning and development program manager. So it's been quite a ride.
0: Yeah. And you did it all in the middle of uh, COVID.
3: Yes. We did a lot of things <laughs> yes, in the middle did. of COVID.
0: <laughs> and that kind yes. of, it, it threw your trajectory off a little bit, didn't it? Uh, when you first started because we kind of
3: went a different path when you first came on board. Exactly. And it was such a great learning experience because again, like I said, I started as a training and development specialist and then literally a month after, you know, total shutdown. Yeah. So my role has kind of morphed into a program specialist and i think that's where our relationship started sean and jules Mm -hmm. because um at that time i was working under the fleet and inventory department right helping them with their processes and you know any way i can support i was helping this this department and um you know since then you know um i've found an opportunity to work with um jess leva on a specific project and from there you know kind of um launched uh, the learning management system at, at freedom yeah and it's so
1: funny sean and i were just talking about this and reminiscing back when we first met you because i'm like didn't we meet ej on a meeting talking about like how we're gonna wrap our vehicles. Vehicle wraps. I'm pretty yeah. sure that was our first <laughs> engagement with you, and I was like, and and then I'm just dumbfounded. Thinking now, like where you're at, how you've grown this team, and the amazing education you're providing to everyone. So right. we were we're just so excited to dive into that and learn about how all that came about. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we were just like, wait a second, we, we talked to about him stickers? about stickers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we definitely. <laughs> and
2: now we're, we're talking
0: about full full blown training programs for a corporation. It's in, it's insane the progress that you guys have made. It and is. while we're talking about it, before we get back to Luke and and Ed App, why don't you tell us a little bit about your team? Sure,
3: oh, man. Our team, I cannot praise them enough. Mm-hmm. You know, um, a lot of um, our team is composed of, well, there's three of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, we have an instructional designer, Shannon Meyer. Um, she comes from an education background. She's, so she's actually been a teacher. And um, so, She has been also an instructional designer for other companies, helped them launch their um, learning management systems. And um, she's been super instrumental in organizing all of our content and getting it in a place that is like presentable enough to share to the masses right um now on a graphic standpoint we also have um daisy Menar, who is our content developer and graphic designer Um, i'm sure you guys know her Mm -hmm. and um, (laughs) we love her (laughs) daisy is amazing um she actually is um really helpful when it comes to taking things that um no offense to people who like vanilla but Take content that's a little bit vanilla uh-huh. and add a little bit more flavor to that, right. and to make sure that it's packaged well for for everyone, despite you know their learning preference. Um, so really making all of our content cohesive. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's three of us, we have content developer, instructional designer, and myself to help kind of manage all the projects to make sure we're always, you know, making everyone happy, all the departments and, you know.
1: Yeah, it's it's yeah. truly amazing how many sessions, like, or lessons, sorry, that you guys have put together with yeah. such a small team. Right. It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, we're launching out communications. Hey, this lesson's out and this lesson's out. I'm like, Where did how, these where, come from? Where, what are we doing there? Like, figure all on Red Bull? Like, what yeah. how
3: is this happening? Don't get me wrong though. I do want to give credit where credit is due. We are partnering with very, very smart people all throughout Freedom Forever. On mm-hmm. the East Coast, Midwest to the West Coast, we have subject matter experts in every department. Yeah. So we definitely can't take credit for all of the content because right literally like you know all our team is pretty new you know yeah. and so a lot of the downloads of content is from our subject matter experts mm-hmm. it's our freedom right. family and we are they they're helping also with mm-hmm. all of the content as right. well and then you add on top,
0: you partnered with an amazing training LMS company, EdApp. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, and that's where Luke comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, Luke, why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, how EdApp started and, and really uh, get into the nitty gritty of where why you're different, how EdApp is different than any of these other LMS companies?
2: Yep. Great question. So EdApp uh, started out as an e-detailing solution, which is actually a... A sort of solution that a sales rep would use to go into any sort of market, whether it's a, a CPG customer, and um, and use interactive multimedia to talk about their the wares of their product. Um, that's a specific industry, and we had a custom solution for that. Uh, and really, the objective of an e-detailer is to educate a client. Uh, and interestingly enough, we we had one of our customers perform a a review and they engaged a consultancy to review our platform. And the outcome and the insight of that review was actually that they found that the employee was learning more than the customer, which then led us to believe, okay, maybe we can transform this thing into a learning management system. And subsequently, because the e-detailing solution is all about mobile delivery, Therefore, we uh, obviously embraced a mobile-first perspective on our training solution, which um, is very competitive and very appropriate. Uh, Obviously we all uh, don't allow our mobile devices to leave our side, and subsequently being able to deliver training, training via that medium. Represents a fantastic opportunity. So I guess talking about why EdApp might be a bit different, or what are its USPs? Uh, really, it's being about mobile first, which I don't think could be any. The the suitability to Freedom Forever is is really perfect. You guys engage with team members inside the office and and out on on sites right across the USA. So your ability to talk directly to them on a daily basis is uh, is a very exciting thing. I think
1: it really is very.
0: That's very interesting. How you, you kind of your origin story? It you started as one thing and became another. That's that's pretty significant. Yeah, maybe we, maybe we should be
2: thanking Deloitte for our amazing idea for the platform. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I guess speaking to the the other USPs of the platform. We also thought that, I guess, assessing the market, we understood that there's other tools out there that allow organizations to create training content, but it takes a lot of effort and a lot of lead time. And reflecting on what EJ was saying about the fact that you guys were go were able to go from zero to 100 in a very short space of time, you're releasing content really on a daily or a weekly basis is, is really what we hope to deliver with the platform. Uh, and allow even small teams of of learning designers to produce really engaging, rich media driven programs in mm-hmm. no time at all. It's uh, is definitely our mission, right? And you had mentioned that you know
0: we as adults we don't we, we're never too far from our phones these days. Um, and you know with that in mind, when you include video, as adults, we're spending five hours a day watching videos. I think that was the latest number. Uh, 98% of organizations worldwide are using video based training programs in their digital learning approaches. Is that something that's part of our strategy as well as video a big component of our strategy?
3: So a hundred percent video is definitely ingrained into our learning strategy. And one of the things that we're noticing is that not everyone is like a visual or text learner, like right. where you have to have content and you read it like a textbook, right? Right. Um, with some of our biggest learning demographics, like our installers, video is super important because they're on the go and mobile yeah. is super important because they're also on the go. You know, they're not sitting behind a, you know, a. a a computer eight hours a day, um, you know, so having instruction being presented through video and visuals, especially for these kinesthetic learners who learn by doing and yeah. by seeing um, it's it's super important, and yeah. um, what we like to do is try to ingrain as much video as possible, mm-hmm. um, not only. Through animations, but also tutorials, and you know, we've actually done a few videos together, um, Sean, yeah. um, in Chicago, yes. when we were, you know, having multi-angle like instructional videos, like for safety and for install. So it's, yeah. um, it's super important.
1: And I know when I first started here, videos were a big thing. We didn't have many, but going back to sort of my origins, it was the need was was there and everybody was engaging with the videos. And that's why I love the videos you've been able to put together, because you're not only showing how to do something from a physical aspect, but a lot of our tools, you guys are actually recording like how to how to press this button and how to submit this thing. Right. So that way you're actually eliminating that trainer person having to sit next to that employee and walk them through and then multiply that by all of the new hires that we have. Like we, we literally couldn't have enough managers to teach everybody. So this is, auto, it's really automated that process beautifully.
3: Right. Yeah, and I think the biggest takeaway is that we are eliminating the process of repeating ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know, and that automation and replication is just so valuable, especially for a growing company like yeah. Freedom Forever. Well, and,
0: you know, there's something to be said about the the recorded aspect because there are so many times where, you know, somebody could give a presentation three times and it's a different presentation every single time. There's a, p- a piece that may get missed. There's a, a detail that just doesn't get portrayed in in one of the lessons versus the other two. So I think having that repetition is super important, like what you were saying. Now, Luke, when you were uh, when EdApp was kind of on the ground level and being built, was video something? that was
2: initially a huge part of the app? Yeah, absolutely. We have uh, customer stories. We obviously being a mobile first solution, a lot of our customers in, are in the retail sector. and we hear stories from customers where uh, their staff members will engage with learning on the bus and on the way to work. And they describe a situation where they'll be flicking through videos on Instagram. And when they're done with their feed updates, they'll then jump over to EdApp to engage with the lesson. So subsequently, you know, if you're enjoying video content on one platform, then uh, translating that immersive experience into a learning solution makes total sense as well. And yeah. I think that um, given that there's, you know, all media out there is so video intensive, uh, there's really an expectation on behalf of learners that content should be video-based. It should be yeah. interactive and engaging. No one wants the, the boring old PDF anymore. Those days right, right. are <laughs> So um, yeah, it's definitely you know video production definitely does come at a at a slight cost and and, and it does uh, obviously require additional production. But I think it, the benefits are definitely there. Absolutely.
1: I love that you touched on like Instagram, and then they'll go to the app because one of my favorite pieces of Ed App is actually the grid. It's almost yeah. like the social platform that you've built into this learning system. And the reason I love it so much is because it it gets people engaged. It does. You know, it's one thing to have like okay, there's this app, and you learn these things, and you know, some teams have more um, more lessons than others. Mm-hmm. But to be able to get them to the app is half of the battle. Like yeah. how do you, other than forcing them, like requirements, you must do this thing. <laughs> right. But then to keep them engaged with the app and to constantly reference then lessons that maybe they need a refresher on, right. there's this grid where they get to post pictures and like happy customers are an awesome install that they did. And I that's, that's actually one of my favorite pieces is that engagement piece. It really drives the culture too. Yeah.
0: And I think it yeah. goes, you know, the whole social aspect of it, everybody loves talking about themselves. So I feel like that's a great incentive to be able to get somebody to go into the app, use it a little bit more, even if it's something that's not required, just finding all of these optional lessons. You know, they go in to post a picture about an install they did or something, you know, that has to do with their job role. But then they go, oh, I have a lesson in here that I can do that maybe it's optional, but maybe they just had another piece of training that they weren't required to take because they were there for the social aspect.
2: Mm-hmm yeah I agree entirely. I think that um when we developed that feature, it's we actually call it peer learning, you guys call it the grid. Um, it was really about unlock unlocking subject matter expertise among workers. We know that in any industry, there are very, very experienced uh, team members that have a wealth of knowledge, and those sorts of features give them the opportunity to teach their peers. So we talk about, let the best teach the rest is uh, is a little saying that we like to throw out there, and um, I
0: like that. You know, it, it happens. Too.
2: It happens in every industry where you've got. You might be in a coffee store and you've got a barista who is the absolute maestro, and why not allow him to teach his uh, his peers on, on how to do a great job? Right, that's such a great concept. Uh, when- <laughs> we we didn't come up with
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> You curated the idea though. So (laughs) uh, when it comes to our lessons, I know, you know, obviously video is a big piece of it, but what other considerations are being put into our lessons when you're putting them together?
3: There are tons of considerations. And one of the biggest considerations that as a team, we always try to, take it from a learner perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of companies nowadays, they're like, you know what, these are the key learning points, just present it however it is, and just blast it and broadcast it out there. And we take, again, a very um, learner-based approach where we think about how does this, how well, Will the audience receive this content? Mm-hmm. Is presenting it through a slide format, a video, through an infographic? What is the best way for them to learn? And um, all of that stems from you know our six-phase um, training development process, which is discovery. Mm-hmm. Who is our audience? Who mm-hmm. are our subject matter experts? What do they want to communicate, and what is the best way to communicate that? And analyzing that entire like plate of considerations is the first step of creating um, trainings on on our end gotcha
1: And you have a very clever way I've noticed on how to gauge how big of an effort it is. And I want you to talk a little bit about that too because we have many sized versions of um, what you guys put together.
3: Of course, so like um, I always tell the team, it's like, you know, we are kind of like our own little agency within an agency. We're Mm -hmm. a business, our clients are, you know, the managers and our learners. And um, what we wanted to do was kind of create this this LMS package and you have different um, variations of packages you have your small medium light but we call them like our base watt package with is just like we will just deliver a PowerPoint to you uh-huh. you know and then we have a kilowatt package which is we will actually create a lesson as well as a, a briefcase document which is kind of like um, an s uh, a. Visually pleasing SOP. Okay, you know, and then we have our megawatt package, which is we're going to create the ed app lesson. Mm-hmm. We're going to make sure it has gamified content with an assessment, as well as a briefcase document, and we will work in partnership with marketing to make sure that this lesson is broadcasted to the masses. Right. Not only that, we in this megawatt package, we would include um, evaluation of the learners. So we work. We have um, a. Internal BI team, our business intelligence team, where we um, ensure that the results, the course completions, mm-hmm. and all things that managers want to know in terms of training is measured and monitored mm-hmm. through BI. Okay,
1: it's almost like your version of an ROI, right? Yeah, pretty much.
3: <laughs>
0: and that and that actually kind of segues nicely into my next question. A large portion of uh, L and D teams across different uh, industries, different businesses. They feel pressure to measure the impact for learning from leadership, and I know that's something. You know, maybe it's not like a high pressure thing, but we want to know that these things are working. So, Luke, from EdApps' standpoint, what's your approach to analytics?
2: Yeah, I mean, you've always got to substantiate the budget that you're spending on anything, right? Right. Um, and analytics are a great way to do that. Um, really, in our in our analytics suite, we. Really aim to capture every interaction, so that at the end of the day, EJ and his team can then go off and and determine what's important to then present back to the business. So, you know whether it's an individual learner, how much time they've spent on a lesson, or what they scored on an assessment, or rolling that up into user groups and teams. And uh, I think the user groups uh, element of our analytics is one that is. Definitely a key one, especially as you get larger and larger deployments, and understanding competency levels across teams in different departments. And um, sometimes it's it's a matter of communication. Uh, sometimes it's you know just just getting the message to certain teams. I think is uh, something that gets revealed when you've got really granular data. One of the things that, that I really love when it comes to analytics is actually a, a feature that we have called leaderboards, where we can rank learners and their participation against one another within a team, uh, and those, those leaderboards are based upon an individual learner's performance. Uh, so it takes that analytical side, which is great, uh, but it also plays that back to the learner and gives them a bit of a motivational jolt to get in there and improve their scores because you know if they're going up against their teammates then um you know there's some excitement to do well right agreed
1: I can't imagine what I'm ranking right now because I'm <laughs> I'm really doing my best to get through every single lesson because I want to just learn and see everything, yeah. but then I'll have stuff open in one tab. <laughs> so don't score me is what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> so you should not be part of the
2: benchmark. I, yes. <laughs> yeah, you can throw my data out there. No. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's your use case is, is also very interesting that you have remote teams deployed right across the USA Mm -hmm. and being able to bring all of that data together and, and have some visibility as to, you know, compliance and competency rates right across the board, especially in an industry like yours that's changing so rapidly. Uh, EJ has mentioned that you guys are growing at a at a rate of knots, which is super exciting. Yeah. Um, and as soon as as soon as you guys go public, I'll I'll have a few shares for sure. <laughs> uh, but um, I think just as you you know, with any organisation that's growing very quickly, obviously visibility as to how people are progressing and their knowledge levels is very important. Right.
1: Yeah. And I love the that analytics side of everything just to see how everyone is interacting, because then this way, you know, you can look at it and say, hey, all the videos are getting watched, Mm -hmm. but the PowerPoints like people are dropping off here. Right. You Mm -hmm. know, so it's just it's it's neat to be able to have that information and then you can make improvements on the learning um, the next time around
0: and not waste your time. Right. Sometimes people just, you know, businesses, you see it all the time where a company just does things and we've said this a million times on our show we've always we've always done it that way and you know (laughs) wasting time wasting money wasting effort so it's nice to be able to have something to back Mm -hmm. it I and agree.
3: with EdUp now, um, that's something that we ki- that we measure mm-hmm. and we actually provide that feedback of there is an area of competency that needs to be worked on right. in this branch or this department and we have the data that could actually make it actionable. So, Which allows
0: you to create new lessons if exactly. that's the case. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they're not getting this piece. Let's let's amplify this one message within this training.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, and it's interesting too that you said by department because our departments have very different disciplines. Disciplines and people have different, like you know, you can't compare our marketing team to the accounting team. I'm sure we're going to learn very differently. (laughs) So to be able to see, like, how are these different departments engaging, and then customizing it almost for those types of learners, right? So that's pretty cool. And you know, that's a good
0: point. And also along with Luke's point of us growing so much, we have so many different facets to our to our team, so many different departments, different maybe learning styles, but also learning abilities when it comes to whether they're sitting at a desktop or they're on their phone, a large portion of companies that go with a, an LMS system, they actually uh, put a focus on the, like bring your own device policy. So that enables learning from, you know, the comfort of their, of their own device is how big of a deal was this to Freedom Forever in that regard?
3: This was a huge deal. And Luke probably remembers very well that um, towards like the first quarter of this year, um, you know, we were looking at multiple LMS options, yeah. you know, yeah. and a lot, and it, it really didn't have to do with price. It was more of one of those things that had to do with functionality right. and the needs of our learners. Right. And one of the biggest, uh, the largest departments and some of the most important departments here at Freedom are our field operations. Right. Um, the men and women that are in the field, as long as well as our, our sales reps, you know, mm-hmm. and ensuring that they have a manual um, to successfully do their job in their pocket. Right. You know, uh, we can't provide everybody a, a, a laptop and a desktop to learn from exactly. or these large, heavy textbooks or manuals. We had to find a solution that would um, give them the autonomy to take out their phone learn what they need to, be assessed from what they need to, and have a platform so that we can measure that as well. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so that as leadership and managers, we could react to that data and, and help them out whatever way we can. Right. And um, having a mobile solution like the um, ed app as an LMS was a no-brainer for us.
0: Right. Well, yeah, especially when you consider like what you had said, we have the installers in the field, installers, site auditors, permit runners. There are all these people that are out in the field. They're not in front of a desktop. But then when you consider also... We don't employ a sales staff. You know, our sales staff is an, in, an independent authorized dealer. That's, that's who our sales team is, uh, a network of them. And so when it comes to that, we're dependent on them and their equipment. So mm-hmm. we can't really say, here's a laptop to all of our employees, True. but also all of our independent reps. We have to consider everybody has their own phone on them. So mm-hmm. I, I love that concept.
1: And it's so simple. Absolutely, I think like yes. I'm one of the like the beauty is in the simplicity for me. And just to see how the app has been put together, the content and how digestible it is. It's just these short little lessons. I mean, this yeah. is you're you're speaking my language. <laughs> I love
0: it. Well, and then when you consider you're on your phone, mm-hmm. you're maybe at your own home, you're in your car, whatever you're doing it from from the comfort of your own. Desires. Um, there's nothing worse than even though companies do have like, here's the, 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 the training computer. You, there's a computer at an office. You can go sit down at it, which we have as well, we which do. is awesome. But for me, as far as a learning experience goes, I can't stand knowing there's somebody behind me waiting to use the computer. It'll make me yeah. fail that lesson. And then I'm doomed, <laughs> you know, So <laughs> yeah, having the ability to step out to my car or even, mm-hmm. you know, just sit on my own home. On my phone, I know the phone, I know the device, it's mine. So I, I just I love that concept. It just makes it so much more
2: accessible.
3: 100%.
2: I think that you you only need to look at overall trends these days towards technology adoption. I mean that the iPhone twelve being its biggest relief in a a release, sorry, in a time like this where people should be a little bit more fiscally responsible. Right. Um, but the adoption of technology is, is very pervasive and, um, you know, whenever we have conversations about organizations that using their own devices, it really just comes down to the conversation of ease of use. Uh, mm-hmm. An individual will always choose ease of use over this kind of debate of whether a, a personal device is going to be used for a work function. Um, it's really out, out the window because as you said, no one wants to have to go into the office and log on to the old PC. And, right like five minutes for it, to, for it to load. It's just, it's a thing of the past. So, yeah, especially
0: um, in our climate with, with COVID and restrictions and, you know, trying to do as much work from home as we can. It, it eliminates that. But also when you consider even before COVID, there was a study of uh, college students, which I know it's a different medium, but there were like 60% of people who chose online versus traditional, like out of a book or, or a workbook or anything like that. So it just makes sense. So I love, I respect what you're saying about,
2: really keeping up with trends of technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one, one interesting stat that we'd like to talk about with one of our customers uh, or one of our partners is uh, one of our key strategic partners is, is the United Nations Training Institute. And they actually use EdApp to deploy programs to the developing world, so they have Missions right across the world for, you know, anti-money laundering in South America or education of women in Afghanistan. So they're all over the place. And, wow. uh, and the stat that they relay to us is that there's more access to smartphones than running water these days, which just speaks volumes to the fact that it is such an incredible uh, device to get any sort of message out there. Uh, and if we can't do that in the USA, then um, <laughs> right. you know, I think uh, it's just, it's such a good, for us, it was a huge realization that we're definitely on the right path with this mm-hmm. vision for the platform. Absolutely. Um, kind of shifting gears a little
0: bit. So there was a, a study that showed 70 to 90% of all workplace learning happens informally. How do we mitigate that and turn those informal trainings into more formal trainings?
3: our learning and development team takes two different approaches when it comes to creating training. Mm-hmm. A proactive approach, which is the ideas and vision of leadership of what the company should learn. But and the second approach that I kind of want to highlight on is our reactive approach, mm-hmm. that as this company is operating day to day and this training is deployed and, you know, 30,000 feet in the air, that we are also... Um, taking real live feedback mm-hmm. from the field, right. from management, um, of things that we should maybe highlight on in our training or in future training. So we're taking this reactive approach so that we can adjust whatever key learning points there are to not only plan for the future, but to react to the little things here and there that happen day to day. Right. And um, I think that's what's great about the, the attitude of this entire company is that we are so fluid and that we are able and it's okay to change something for the betterment of a process.
0: Right. these sound like great challenges to have.
3: Oh yeah, <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. <laughs>
0: And speaking of Luke, when you're talking to clients, what are some of the biggest challenges you're seeing from these companies that are thinking about going into a, a new system for their trainings?
2: Um, I, I think it's it always comes down to low engagement rates is probably the number one thing that we hear. Um, many organizations deploying more traditional LMS solutions or if they've adopted uh, content libraries like the LinkedIn learnings of the world, etc. It always comes down to the fact that they may have enrolled thousands of employees into these programs, but the the completion rates are less than ten percent. Yeah, um, and that's really because it comes down to a couple of things. But when you're talking about traditional solutions, it's it's very much about the fact that they're. The, the mobile first factor plays a plays a big uh, role there, but um really this providing this uh, very extensive library of content to learners and providing everything under the sun is something that we think is doesn't really work yeah. um, and, and e j mentioned it earlier this idea that you guys are always shaping your content and you're being very tactical with the the information that you put out there. And for us this makes a world of difference because the learner, when they receive the material, they understand that it's been tailored for them. It's really been written for them. It's not just right. an off shelf mm-hmm. course that's had a logo slapped yeah. on it. Yeah. So uh, I think that, you know, challenges, speaking to challenges, it's it's engagement mm-hmm. rates as a as a number one thing for sure. And yep. that's something we took into consideration with everything we do, as far as
0: video goes, especially the training. We had talked about this on our uh, one of our last episodes with um, our safety and quality teams, Andrew Dunlap and, and Matt Yantos. Uh, we had said, you know, there's there's something to be said about watching a training that has your crew members in it, your logo, your company, mm-hmm. versus the old cliche, stereotypical '80s canned safety training, you know, Mm where we're we're talking about real life situations that these uh, installers will see on a day-to-day basis instead of here's a generic safety training on how to wear a hard hat. When it comes to challenges that you're seeing internally, what what challenges are you seeing and how are we addressing them, if any?
3: Got it. So um, we see with this being a new LMS, Mm -hmm. a new team and over 30 departments who want to partner so that we can streamline the training for their specific needs there's a lot of challenges and one of the things that we have implemented recently is like our issue and solution based approach right and um a few months ago i had asked um one of the key individuals at um freedom to be my mentor danny rubin and um, one of the things that he's always taught me is that you know for every issue there's a solution somewhere Mm. we just need to put minds together to find that solution right and so what we do is we take this very like we account for every problem that we encounter we are seeing where is it coming from what is the reason why it exists and brainstorming as a team so that week over week we are addressing these solutions um or for these issues and presenting that to leadership is that we know that there are um little growing uh pains and little woes left and right, right that right. we are experiencing and we are week over week ensuring that we solve them and it it then be part of our process moving forward so they don't exist or don't appear again.
0: Sure. And I think when it comes to innovation, this is definitely going to help with a company overall. Um, There are statistics out there that learning innovation delivers a 9% improvement in organizational growth, transformation, profit, and productivity. Uh, That being said, what is success to you?
3: So it's, it's two parts. Success to me on the learner perspective is simply put as growth. Mm-hmm. You know, um, growth in competency, growth in confidence in what they do. If we're able to provide a tool and training mm-hmm. that helps everyone, which we can measure um, in feeling confident and competent at their day-to-day job, that is success. And yeah. as a team, um, one of the biggest um, measurements of success is How are we taking current versus current versus future? Right. Like, how are we disrupting? And I I was looking at a PowerPoint the other day, and the definition of uh, disruption to Brian in his PowerPoint was doing things differently and doing it better. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's one of those things where I tell the team like, always be extra. Uh huh. Like, there's just don't deliver expectations, but. A little bit over the expectations so that we can keep this this environment, this this aura of that training is not an afterthought; that right. it is mm-hmm. a priority at this company. Yeah, you know, and um, just making sure that we're constantly disrupting yeah. in the training world. And I know?
1: appreciate the extra. That's why
3: our teams get along <laughs> so well. <laughs> Luke, I'm going to dish it to you. What what is success to you for a
0: company that's taking on an LMS system or a new training program?
2: Um. I really just I think it comes down to the learner feedback at the end of the day. Yeah. When you get those wow moments, I recalled one earlier where we have an anecdote of a of a learner on the way to work and engaging with material on a bus. I mean, you know, these are training circumstances that have never really occurred before. So yeah. to keep pushing those those sorts of uh, changes to the workplace, making things really convenient and exciting. Making people think about learning in a in an excited way and not yeah. and not just pushing it to the end of the week and feeling like it's a chore. Sure, I think that's a simple way to, to quantify success. Um, in terms of, uh, I guess my own kind of version of success with the platform, I think you know we were super excited to be doing business with you guys, given that you're you know in sustainable energy. For us, that was a moment to kind of cheer. And, uh, and I think that as we start to get closer to organizations with, with these sorts of objectives, I think that's, that's a great way to great reason to come to work as well. So um, on a personal level, yeah, that's, that's where I see success.: I love it. Thanks yeah. so much for,
0: for saying that. That's, that's very insightful. On that note, uh, I, I love this conversation. I'm so glad that we were able to partner with EdApp. You guys have done such a great job with the team, and, and EJ, your team is amazing, and, and we appreciate you so much. And we're so lucky to, to be able to work with you guys every day. It's um,
1: truly a pleasure. The work
0: you're doing is so important. So thank you for what you do, and thank you for your teams, Luke's. Same to you. Thank you so much for what you've done for us. We've, you know, we've really, you know, cherished this relationship. So thank you so much. Um, yes. Yeah. Having me, yeah, absolutely. So, to learn more about EdApp to help your business with your training programs, head over to edapp.com for President Biden's plan and executive actions. Check out the fact sheet linked down below in the notes, and also make sure you check out the Freedom Forever blog. We're going to have tons of information about the Paris Climate Agreement, the new addition of John Kerry as the climate czar, and also. We're going to break down this fact sheet and kind of make it a little bit easier to to digest. Also, for everything you need to know about Freedom Forever and the Solar Disruption Theory podcast, visit solardisruptiontheory.com. Also, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and help us to share this podcast with the solar world and the environmentalists in your network. On behalf of Jules, EJ, Luke, and myself, thanks for listening to the Solar Disruption Theory podcast. We'll talk to you soon.